I think one key thing um, that nutritionists can bring um, to a production team, whether that's an internal team or a consulting nutritionist, is, as we all know, feed cost is the largest part of the cost from farrow to finish or wean to finish. Um, so if that nutritionist can accurately um, predict the performance, then they can accurately predict that cost and therefore can best help you manage your checkbook and what your balance sheet looks like. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about MS Shippers. Want to save up to 25% in labor time when cleaning your barns? With MS Top Foam Power, you effectively remove all historical pollution. MS Top Foam Power ensures the surface is perfectly clean and ready for disinfection. Find your dealer at www.msgold.eu. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Trey Kellner, who is a nutritionist at AMVC. Trey, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well, Laura. Yourself? I'm doing very well. We're glad to have you on the podcast today, Trey. I think before we get started, though, I'm going to have you do a brief introduction about yourself to our audience, just in case they're not familiar with you. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, my name is Trey Kellner, and I'm currently the managing partner and swine nutritionist for AMVC Nutritional Services based in Audubon, Iowa. Even though I'm based in Audubon, Iowa, I have the, uh, the pleasure and the challenge of feeding about 175,000 sows and 2 million annual market pigs across four time zones in the U.S. now. So from Ohio to California and from North Dakota to Arizona across about 40 different feed mills. Um, so hopefully that that current challenge that I have every day can provide some insight and value uh, for this podcast and listeners. Absolutely. I think we just need one more one more time zone and we'll cover most of the continental U.S. there, Trey. That's that's impressive. Maybe Hawaii one day, right? <laughs> right. Right. What, what a horrible thing to have to go travel to Hawaii to see pigs, right? Yeah. For sure. Well, and I think that's really what we want to talk to you a little bit about today is not so much travel, but more about what does your day look like as a nutritionist and and just kind of help people understand maybe a little bit more about what a nutritionist does and particularly one that's involved in production in such a system as yourself with that type of number and feed mills and and just kind of how you manage through that process. So I think maybe let's just start with that. What's your routine like on a daily basis? Sure. So on a daily basis, it's really tough because no two days are the same. However, if we expand that just a little bit, I do try to organize at least my week um, to try to get everything accomplished and try to keep all the balls in the air without any of them dropping and shattering, right? So what I try to do is I try to set up meeting days 
um, farm days and then catch up slash office slash data, data mining days, right? So typically what I'll do is I will set up meeting days for Monday and Wednesday. So I will have meetings, whether that's grow finish production, sow team production, or account team meetings, uh, feed desk organization meetings here for my, you know, my, my direct employees, whatever that may be, production calls. We'll try to have those on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then Tuesday, I typically have as a flex day, right? So figure out what fires are currently out there, whether on the slat level or at the boardroom level or somewhere in between. And then have that time to then answer those issues. Not that I don't do that on Monday and Wednesday, but it's more of a dedicated flex day um, mm -hmm. to handle those things. Then Thursday, I try to be on farm at the slat level or in one of our feed mills. And then Friday, I typically have for kind of a catch up day and then try to set the stage for the next week. Right. So I would say no two days will ever look the same, um, but I do try to balance my time and make sure that I'm providing flat level support and boardroom support. And what I've kind of found to be the correct ratio for my current position and the current needs of, of our different business units and our leadership teams um, and try to schedule that out as best as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very good point is that scheduling comment because I've had some questions lately from people on time management and how do you manage that? Because clearly there are things that you want to accomplish or need to accomplish during the week. And as you, you called it, putting out the fires and in production, that's a large amount of what we might be doing. So how do you create time in your schedule to make sure you get the things done that, that you need to get done? Yeah. So one thing that I try to stay uh, with in terms of like being able to rapidly respond is stay caught up. Um, so I do have a great family at home. Um, I have a, a, an awesome wife and two young kiddos and I do value that time, right? If it's, if it's the weekend or they're up, um, I, I try to respect that time as much as I can. Um, but there are occasions once the kiddos are, uh, you know, asleep, uh, hopefully they go to bed at 8 PM most nights. Um, where I do do some work and get caught up, right? Or if they are taking a nap Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I use that hour to get caught up. And, and what I try to do is I try to, try to stay on top of emails where I don't have 200, 300 unread messages in my inbox because that can take you a full afternoon to get unburied from. And, and that does happen, right? When I'm out you know, on our West Coast trips or even our Eastern trips, right? Those are two, three-day trips. Um, I'm trying to spend as much time with those people and at the slat level as possible to have the greatest influence that I can within that visit because um, I might not be there for another three or four months, right? Um, so there are times where it's conferences or meetings or well-deserved day off or something like that where you do get buried and you have to unbury. But if you can keep yourself up to date on your communications, whether that's phone calls, texts, or emails, all of a sudden, when someone calls you or texts you or you see an email with that big red exclamation point or flag, you're ready to respond to that. And you're able to shift from the important to the urgent category. So I try to stay in that important category as much as possible. There are times where I do live in the urgent, right? And, and I shift from urgent to even more urgent, right? But if, you, if you're in the majority, say 80% of the time in that important category, then when there is that urgent require inquiry, when there is a fire to put out, um, you know, you can respond and then get back to kind of your regularly set schedule. 
The other thing too is just to be highly organized. Um, it, I just make simple lists. It's not like I have everything in Excel or have you know this full out organization chart of how I'm going to structure my day or what's the highest priority or what's not. Um, but I just continually um, make lists. I have these these yellow notes here, these piece of papers, and I might make a list four or five times a day and just stay current and update that. And then I just try to look at the clock and say, okay, it's 1220 as we're recording this podcast, right? We're going to be tied up here for a bit. And I have a meeting at two and I have a call at three. And I'd like to be home at five to spend some time with my kiddos. So I have four things that are on that list. So then how much time am I going to spend on each one of those four things? So there will be times where I might get 80 or 90% of that item done, right? And then I'll move on to the next, right? And then I'll say, okay, this is something that I can finish up tonight or tomorrow morning, but I need to at least spend 30 to 40 minutes here on it today because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I think that's where some people get stuck in terms of their time management or how much they can balance at a time is they will get to item one on their list and they'll get stuck and then they won't get to two, three, four, five, right? They're still working on one. Um, there are times where if you hit a hurdle or you're like, I, I need to think about this. Um, I'm going to think about this tonight and come back to it tomorrow versus, and, you know, sitting there and, and pondering, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you only have so much time in the day. So um, there are times where I might... I might not be able to cross anything off that list, but I work on each of those items to where they're more manageable um, and are easily accomplished and try to accomplish more versus than just, I'm only going to do one and then I want to go to two and then I'm going to go to three, right? So um, those are just things that I found helpful. Um, You also have to be very respectful of your time and your commitments, it's very easy for me to say yes to things, right? Both internally and externally. Um, if there's someone, you know, from our vet clinic that wants to learn more about swine nutrition and production, it's real easy for me to say yes. And what I found is you can say yes, but make sure it works within your schedule, right? So as I say, Mondays and Wednesdays are typically my meeting days. So if I can fit it in between one of my Monday meetings or my Wednesday meetings versus the scheduling it like Tuesday at two, when I probably need to be at the slat level, um, you know, or at one of our farms or our feed mills. Well, if I have a meeting at two, it's, then it's really tough to get to a location and then back from a location, right? Kind of messes up that day. Um, so just having a little bit of schedule integrity of knowing what you can take on and then when does it best fit within your schedule to take on as well. Um, I think those things have been helpful, not that I haven't mastered by any means, but I just think that those are some things that I've found that have worked. And um, I think it's also very important to then uh, reflect on the back end. So I do put things in Excel um, about once a quarter. I try to best map out where am I spending my time on which account am I spending my time, on which pigs am I spending my time, and in which people am I spending my time with. And then I try to go back through in terms of, you know, our system priorities and the number of pigs that each one of those situations has and how important is that within, you know, quote-unquote, my responsibilities as our managing partner and see if that aligns. And if there's areas where 10% of my time is being spent on 50% of my pigs, 
but I have another situation where 40% of my time is being spent on 10% of my pigs, well, then I probably need to do some time allocation. And I probably need to have some critical conversations with the people involved in those situations because they might be asking more of me than probably what should be. And then I need to have that conversation with them on saying, this is what's been asked of me before. And I said yes, because I was willing to do it. After reevaluating my time, this is something that I can no longer justify doing. And here's why. So here's what I'm going to suggest, right? Let's move this report or this data mining or, or this call to this individual. They're fully capable. They'll do an outstanding job. And I'll make sure that I supervise their work or I'll hop on this call from time to time to make sure this is being done correctly. Right? So if you go through that kind of situation and then you provide a solution as well, I, I think that'll help manage your time um, as effectively as one can. How about that, Laura? I think that's great. You know, and, and I agree. I mean, I, the other thing I would always do is if I wanted some downtime or I needed downtime to think I would my one hour trips to farms or whatever, that was my time. Or if it was those phone calls, right, I'd be making my list of who to call while I was driving and could do that because, you know, driving down a country road can get pretty boring some days. And so that was always useful too. Um, but those are great, great tips on, on time management and the process and thoughts around how you manage your accounts. And it actually kind of led me to the next question is you have so many accounts, you have multiple farms and feed mills and, and so forth. So what are your daily observations of the farms look like? Yeah, so daily observations of the farm. So I probably look at each farm at least once a week. So I'll try to segment this a bit. So on you know nurseries, I will look at uh, wean weights, uh, feed intake, and mortality, right? Because we don't have growth in feed conversion till you know, probably two weeks till that nursery's closed out, right? So we'll look at those three KPIs across, you know, all the farms that we have. And I've been fortunate to have some people develop some dashboards for me to where, you know, that's about a five or a 10 minute process is all. And I will look at that every Wednesday. So Wednesday is usually my wean to finish day. And then on the growth finish side, I'll look at the same things, um, but I will add in market weights and um, our cut strategies, right? So how many days is our first cut? What are our weights of our second, third, and fourth cuts? And then what do our barn dumps look like? And see if that's in line with what our projected feed program um, models um, have have spit out and have determined for us, right? So that's kind of a, a validation for me every Wednesday morning, um, sit down on that. And then we discuss that in our grow finish production meetings. So, hey, our projected average daily gain or our projected, you know, weight at first cut or our projected market weight was X and we're Y. Why is that? Right. So um, is that because our health challenges were more impactful than what we thought? Um, is that because we had 10 more loads last week? Um, therefore, we're ahead of our marketing, um, you know, flow. And therefore, we may need to make some adjustments going forward. You know, what does that look like and get caught up there? On the south side, I'll look at things on Friday morning. Um, we have a weekly report that, you know, looks at our 10 to 15 KPIs um, that we've determined to be our most valuable. So, you know, things like breed target, wean to estrus interval, farrowing rate, um, you know, number born alive, pre-wean mortality, um, you know, sow mortality. 
as well. And then once a month, we'll look at our feed usage. So gestation uh, feed usage per sow, um, lactation feed usage per sow, and then we'll also look at feed cost per farm, right? So how many pigs did they wean based off of those feed usages and those costs? And were they at our target? So every month we say, okay, here's your lactation costs, here's your gestation costs, here's how many pigs we expect to wean based off the health status or the genetics of the farm. Um, therefore, we expect that target cost per pig to be X. Was it close, right? And if it wasn't, then what on-site support do I need to provide, right? Are we overfeeding sows? Are we underfeeding sows? We think lactation intake should be 15, 16 you know, pounds per sow. It's only 13. Why is that? Are we running out of feed? Are we not cleaning feeders? Um, do we not have ventilation correct? Um, you know, all those things that I can provide on-site support with. And sometimes that's an email or call, right? Sometimes that's not me, you know, physically being on-site. Sometimes that's an email or call. So those are just some things that I look at on a periodic basis. And then there's times where I get an inquiry and I get into our dashboards or our, our database and pull things as needed um, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are all really good activities for a week, and that certainly keeps you busy checking all of those farms. But you also mentioned not only looking at records every week, but you're going into what you call the slat level, which means you go to the barns. So what do you look at when you go into the barns? So you, you looked at the records probably ahead of time, and so you know, what are your checklist uh, items that you have to do or want to do when you go to a barn? Yeah. So I would say there's two big buckets that I try to look at going to a farm. So A is kind of my nutritionist hat. And then B is also just the, a different perspective hat and providing support to our production managers or our veterinarians and just looking at things that maybe they've been so focused on, maybe they, they haven't seen or may, may have been blinded to them. So from the nutritionist perspective, that hat first, you're exactly right. Feed usage is probably priority one on the slat level, right? So we have an expected average daily feed intake, whether that's a nursery pig or gestating sow or a lactating sow, right? And are we hitting that target? Well, I got the piece of paper that says, yes, we are. No, we aren't, right? And then as you get onto the farm, you're trying to identify why are we hitting this target or why aren't we hitting this target? And it kind of starts from the feed bin management, and then you work all the way to the animal, right? So are feed bins being maintained and rotated properly if they're they're in tandem? Are they being cleaned out? Um, do the boots have cracks? Do they look leaky? You know, are the feed lines in great shape? Or are they held together by 20 years of duct tape? You know, like all those things, right? And then you kind of work towards the feeder, right? So if it's on the south farm, are gestation boxes weighed and set appropriately? Um, if it's a lactation feeder, you know, have those feeders been cleaned out? Some lactation feeders now have adjustments. Are those set correctly? We incorporate more technology into our sow farms all the time. So if you have an electronic sow feeding system, has that electronic sow feeding system been calibrated correctly, right? Or is it just saying, hey, we're giving the sow five pounds per day, but it's actually giving them six because it hasn't been calibrated in six or seven months, right? So sometimes with technology um, where we used to weigh feed boxes every quarter and new exactly when to do it. Sometimes we think the technology um, is so advanced that it'll do those simple steps for us, right? So just ensuring that that's done. Um, on the wean to finish side or the gilt development side, you know, we'll look at feeder adjustments, of course, um, but then feeder inventory as well, right? We have feeders that can hold 
400, 500 pounds, but sometimes we have the tube um, clear down to the bottom. So why are we having out of feed events? Well, maybe only 50 or 100 pounds of, of that feeder storage is being used. So if we don't have our biggest, best intake pigs on that, you know, feed system trigger, whether it's a halo system or whatever it is, some pins may be running out of feed just due to storage. Or, you know, instead of running feed maybe once or twice a day, now we're running feed, you know, eight times a day and we're having some feed bridging, right? Um, so just those things of just matching that up and looking at the feed system from basically the point of delivery to consumption and then providing those those simple observations and those simple action items can be extremely impactful. And I would say there's sometimes, and I get told this by my partners in, in production staff a lot, is I tend to underestimate that actually. Um, I just, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, here's the issue, X is it, and then, you know, we'll put it in an email report and that's it. Say so like, oh, that was no big deal. And yeah, there's two months later, we'll say, hey, that change was really impactful. And, and here's why and go like, oh, I really didn't think anything or much about it, right? Just doing my job. So um, I think those things are big. Then from there, I, I do look at the pigs, right? So, you know, wean to finish, uh, making sure that, you know, composition looks correct. Um, I am a former livestock judge, so I don't think I ever like lose that perspective a bit, right? So I do know in terms of like what loin depth and back fat we should be at at each stage of growth and and does that look appropriate or does it not based off our you know based off of our lean accretion models and our fat deposition models et cetera you know things like structural soundness lameness you know foot health et cetera um, and then same on the south side right um, spend a lot of time walking through our gilts you know looking at structural soundness locomotion lameness. Um, anything like that to determine, you know, oh, do these girls me need some more support? Um, are we selecting um, appropriately? Um, you know, guilt size, weight, age is really important. Um, so, you know, are guilts that are breed eligible in our sow farms, are they the appropriate age? Are they appropriate weight? Have they been there way too long? Have they had an HNS, et cetera, that type of support? And then from there, you know, as we go to our sows, our gestating sows in, in good condition, what's the variation around them? We do use the caliper and we mark all our sows and gilts. So it's real easy for me to walk rows and walk pins and actually have the data and the math to say, yep, we're 87% ideal, you know, 3% thin, and then we're 10% heavy, right? So we're in a good spot in terms of where we need to be, or maybe we're not, right? And then in lactation, right? Um, are sows constipated before they farrow? What does fecal quality look like? Um, what does mammary development look like? What does milk letdown look like? And then as they get ready to wean, how do they look? Are they in good shape? Have they lost a lot of weight? Um, you know, everything in between. So just those pigs op observations. And then I kind of moved to that last bucket, which is just um, talking to people. You know, are they engaged? Are, are they excited about what they do? Do they care what about they do are things well maintained or things clean um biosecurity is always important regardless of the site are those protocols being followed what are the potential gaps in biosecurity that, that i see right um you know things that um you know i'm not there to necessarily um you know talk about personnel issues or you know we're meeting this job etc so i can really take a a third-party perspective on how well is this team functioning or how well is this individual 
you know, performing, how engaged are they? Are they completely checked out, right? And can provide that feedback because I may be on that farm um, today and won't get back there till August or September. Um, so it's real easy just to provide that non-biased, fresh information on how both the pigs, the people and the farm are looking. And uh, sometimes I underestimate that as well, just that mm -hmm. value in that perspective. So. No, and I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that I always try to do too, when I would make a site visit, I would at least let the production manager know and the, the veterinarian know. Sometimes they'd come with me, yeah. which is always a good conversation, but at least I would let them know. And so then if I did notice biosecurity issues or scours or, or, you know, something going on on the management side, I could communicate that to them and it wouldn't feel like I was maybe doing their job or trying to step on toes, but rather, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, kind of being that third person because it's really easy in, in all parts of our production business to get what we call barn blind, right? We just become yes. so ingrained and this is what we're doing and we kind of miss some pieces that sometimes complete the puzzle to a problem that we're trying to solve. So, um, yeah. I think those yeah. are all great, great observations and suggestions. Yeah. Could I, I had just two quick follow-ups to that, Laura. I gave oh, yeah, a four-minute answer on everything that I look at. And I would say all on that follow-up is it's very easy to overwhelm whoever the manager or the individual is during that visit and after that visit. I leave very little with them, and I might leave them with just two very important action items. And then I might take that big long laundry list that I said that I saw and then talk to the production manager, the veterinarian about that. Because the last thing that I want to do is uncoach something that they're working on mm -hmm. or put something that's probably at priority 12. Now, all of a sudden, number one, because there was this new person here um, that said, I need to do X. Yeah. So the production manager, the veterinarian might have been working, you know, for four months on trying to get this implemented. And all of a sudden, I just took it from priority one to priority four, right? <laughs> because now they want to do this new shiny thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, that's one thing that I've just learned over time, as you have, Laura, is it's very easy to overwhelm people, right? Um, I always say that I'm a friendly face. I'm here to say thank you first for mm -hmm. everything that you do and um, helping us you know, raise pork to feed the world. Um, the second thing is, is I'm here to support you as best as I can. So the last thing that I want to do is not be supportive. I'm here to help. So if I leave a laundry list of 10 things or if I undermine or, you know, indirectly uncoach, you know, something that our leadership team's been working on, then I've done the opposite thing of what the objective was to be there in the first place. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right and just wanted to follow up on that great point. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And that those are exactly what people need to think about is just don't overwhelm because you're right. Anytime any of us would get a list like that, it, it's daunting and it, it just is defeating almost. Right. And so we're there to build because they, they are doing a lot and they're very busy and we want to encourage rather than, than take down. So very yeah, good. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to put yourself in the other perspective. Right. So the first, I don't know, it's probably, way too long of an answer 10 minutes was all about time management and how I do this and all I have to do so if I had someone that observed me for three hours and then gave me 11 additional things to do before I leave at 5 p.m I don't know if I would have the most positive reaction to that right I certainly so, wouldn't yes yeah, so, so I would we expect the same thing if we go on on par or to one of our feed mills 
mm-hmm. right? We should leave them with the most valuable things that they can execute. And then those additional things, we can work on that. And we can we can put people in place to help them work on that and support them on that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think those are all really, really great, great suggestions. I'm going to ask one uh, quick question before our time wraps up. And it really kind of comes back to one that I hear a lot or I get asked a lot is, how often are you checking things like the price of ingredients, the diets that you're using, and even you mentioned the marketing strategies. So that's something a lot of production nutritionists get asked to do is to tell people when the optimal weight is or what the optimal weight is for market. So how often are you doing all of those things? Yeah. Um, so I'll try to break those down because there's different answers for for different things that I look at. Um, so we'll start first with pricing. Um, so most of our mills will send in pricing once a week. So yeah, we have one of our individuals at our feed desk, Mike, um, that will summarize all our ingredient information and our pricing um, every Friday morning. So I'll then look at that and then summarize it um, and take note of major changes. And it's not necessarily price increases, but it's price increases among the ingredients, right? So what's the corn to soy ratio? What's the corn to distillers ratio? What's the corn to fat ratio, right? And if those have changed, um, then I'll make note of that. And the reason for that is we try to update our grow finished diets, at least in terms that have larger volumes every two weeks. So we'll update those diets for pricing and then update them for ingredient information. Now, that doesn't mean that we're making a spec change. And by a spec change, I mean we're chasing, you know, changing like tryptophan to lysine ratio or energy, you know, concentration of those diets. It's just an update to try to hit that projected performance and those specs as economically as possible compared to two weeks ago when pricing might have been different. Or maybe the uh, nutrient profile of our ingredients have changed a bit as well. Right. Um, On our south side, I'll try to look at those once a month. Um, once again, may not change those once a month, but we'll at least look at them once a month. And then same with our nursery diets. I'll look at those once a month. Um, may not change them, but we'll at least look at them. Um, so pricing can be volatile. And I think one thing that's important to think about if you are going to update your diets based off of pricing is you kind of have to take out your crystal ball and say, what will these diets look like over the two weeks or the month or the quarter? right, that these diets are going to be implemented. So we can forecast a little bit on nutrient shifts, right? Hey, you know, the the lysine and our our protein levels are, you know, coming down in our distiller sources over time. Okay, we can forecast that out a little bit via regression. Uh, But pricing is way more difficult than that. So if you're going to include more distillers as a cost savings approach, what does that distillers to corn ratio look like? Um, throughout the two weeks or the month that you're going to employ this diet? Is it going to be the same? Is it going to be greater? Is it going to be less? And sometimes you might err a little bit if you think it's going to be greater or less, right? Um, And then I just try to keep notes within my Outlook calendar if we make decisions like that to say, hey, um, you know, I need to check this in a week or I need to check this in two weeks because I didn't just least cost formulate it as is, right? I took kind of that art form, right, of formulation and said, hey, um, I think in two weeks the ratio might be this between corn and distillers, so I would include X. Let's make sure that that's right because I don't want to stay on this, you know, this exact formula if if that indeed has not come true, right? So 
there's some things like that that I use. I'd also be remiss if said that if I did it by myself, um, you know, I have Kristen Olson right here and the office next to me that helps a lot. Uh, she's our associate swine nutritionist um, and helps, you know, in terms of our ingredient procurement um, and our quality assurance. So in terms of like what she's booking ingredients for and how that factors into our feed program, both in terms of price and usages, um, it's beyond the support. Um, in fact, makes my job really easy. And then also uh, we leverage uh, the Cargill Animal Nutrition Team. Um, so my colleagues um, that I went to grad school with, which was really fun, uh, Chad Pilcher and Kenyon Lee, and then uh, Aaron Holmes, and then uh, Lee Ruckman, um, Stacy and Brendan as well, um, our, our nutri or formulators uh, do a great job as well. So just want to give a shout out there. Um, don't want to take all the credit because they do a lot of the legwork and and make my life way easier and and help us execute every day as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, it's certainly a lot to do for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, Trey, our time is is wrapping up, and so maybe what I'll have you do is kind of summarize um, a couple of key things that you would like people to know about uh, what you do and how to work with you. Sure. Yeah. So I think one key thing um, that nutritionists can bring. Um, to a production team, whether that's an internal team or a consulting nutritionist, is as we all know, feed cost is the largest part of the cost from farrow to finish or wean to finish. Um, so if that nutritionist can accurately um, predict the performance, then they can accurately predict that cost and therefore can best help you manage your checkbook and what your balance sheet looks like. Um, so if your, if your labor is consistent, if your space costs are consistent, if your, you know, supplies are consistent, usually the most variable thing is feed. Um, so if you can have a reasonable guess on what your feed costs will be, then it's a lot easier to make business decisions, acquisition decisions, hedging decisions, et cetera. So I would first encourage anyone that's working in a nutritionist or has a nutritionist on staff or has nutritionists available to ask them for that type of support. Um, I, I think that's, um, really important. I think nutritionists are, are, um, this is a biased answer, but I think we're pretty good at math and, and using regression to our advantage and forecasting and modeling out. And, um, I think that should be used to the greatest extent possible to help us make informed decisions. So whether that's adding two more barns because it's cheaper than adding, you know, 10 or 20 pounds of fat to still maintain market weight. Or whether it's we should convert, you know, um, to a batch fed system or stay continuous, or if we should add a south farm, or we should do a remodel, um, or if we should change our marketing strategy, whatever that may be, um, a nutritionist is really important to have in that room and be part of that problem solving equation. Um, I, I joked around with Wayne Cast about this um, about five years ago, and I it kind of came out that math is the only true science. And Wayne like really liked that. He's like, that might be one of the smartest things I've ever heard. Um, but I always feel like if I can get a problem into a math equation, I have a great chance of solving it. Or at least being able to provide solutions to at least consider on implementing, right? So um, I would just encourage anyone that's working with nutritionists to just keep that in mind and, and use that to their greatest extent. Um, second thing as well is, um, nutritionists tend to look at things at a population basis, right? We, we tend to look at things as the system or the scale or the flow or the feed mill, right? Um, so there are times 
when things are presented to us on the pig level, right? We have 10 pigs that are, are dying of strep. We had, you know, eight prolapses. And I would say first and foremost that I'll, I'll talk to the nutritionist that A, you need to listen and B, you need to be empathetic um, to see there might be something that you can do about it, right? Um, but D, I think that we need to do a, a good job of explaining, yes, that is an issue. And yes, that is a financial consequence. But here's the larger math of why we're doing what we're doing. Now. Here's the larger math of why we need to keep the status quo. And then for the non-nutritionist side, if that's communicated correctly, um, need to understand that, once again, our primary job is to manage the checkbook, right? As I like mm -hmm. to say, like, I'm, I'm here to manage your checkbook as if it was my own. Um, mm -hmm. So if we are making those population decisions, um, yes, our feed conversion is not a two, four, five, because we're feeding a more economical diet that has the best, you know, pound per carcass gain or, you know, however you want to look at that pound per gain or whatever it may be. And here's why your checkbook looks like an X versus Y than what you're suggesting, right? Um, and just understand that we are, we are managing and looking at that as, as best as we can. So sometimes I think, you know, people might view nutritionists as cold or, you know, um, mean-spirited or not empathetic. Um, it's just not how we're trained and usually it's not how most of us are wired. Right. So, um, we try to look at things in terms of mass scale as well. So I would just kind of throw out, sometimes that's not, you know, stated that, that black and white. Um, but I just always think that's helpful to explain of, of here's why we're proposing solutions that we are. And, and here's, here's why we're, we're throwing out, you know, um, these type of numbers are coming at it from this way. It's, it's, that's our job. <laughs> no, I think those are great. And I, I totally agree. And we always talk mainly on, yes, this is what production could look like, but here's what the, the dollar looks like at the end. And we're going to make the decision to go with the dollar as long as it doesn't impair welfare. And so that's, that's exactly um, a great point for people to know about nutritionists. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just as long as, um, you know, you listen and you're open to collaboration, um, you're going to be successful. Um, I think sometimes it's it's easy to be defensive, and where you're defensive, you stop listening. It's it's like you'd have music ringing in your ears, right? So it's time for our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts, MS Gold the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. We have a time and labor saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. So Trey, um, as you know, we like to ask our guests a couple of different questions. And the I know we've done these before, but I'll ask again. The, the first question is, is, what's your favorite swine resource? Yeah, so still my favorite swine resource that I use all the time is still feed efficiency in swine. Um, 
by John Patience. Um, it's getting dated. It's 11 years now um, since it's published. Um, so, but it's still, um, some of the chapters are just very well written. And I just appreciate how they take very, very basic science and apply it to a system perspective. And there are times, I've probably read that book, I don't know, 11, 12 times. And there's chapters I've probably read 20 times since it's been published. But it's just a good reminder sometimes if you're in that urgent mode where you're like, man, I want to take a step back and reassess, am I looking at the right things? Am I keeping, you know, the correct perspective? In terms of thinking about, you know, whole cell far deconversion and whole system deconversion and just... How should we measure that? And how should we look at that? And um, I just think it provides a really good resource if you're a brand new grad student that's interested in swine nutrition and you're trying to figure out, you know, is industry nutrition or academia nutrition, you know, where do I want to be and where do I fit? It provides you a, a great perspective on, hey, this is, this is what I find interesting. I'm going to learn more about this to even a seasoned nutritionist that's done this for a while now. Um, just to kind of refocus on, hey, here's the important things and here's how we should measure it and here's how we should um, go about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a very good book. I, I also recommend that one as well. Uh, how about something that's not related to pigs? You, you're very clearly busy, but do you have time to read outside of, of work? Yeah, I do. I read to my four-year-old son and my, uh, my uh, one-year-old daughter. She turns one tomorrow, actually, uh, every evening. So the book that I want to suggest is actually the uh, the Butter Battle book by Dr. Seuss. Um, it was one of his last books that he published, so a little bit different here because this is this is what I, I get to do every evening. Um, but I think it's really good in terms of what we think about in terms on the people side. So for those that don't know, it, I'm sure everyone's aware of this book. It's it's a classic, but basically there's two people, right? There's the Yooks and the Zooks. And one side butters their bread butter side up, and the other does it butter side down. And it it was basically based off the U.S. and the Soviet Union towards the end of the, the Cold War, right? And these two people basically have an arms race. They start with a little wall and then a bigger wall, and then, you know, they have different machines to kind of keep the yooks away from the zooks and the zooks away from the yooks. And all of a sudden it gets to the end where they have this weapon that may destroy the world. And throughout the entire book, as you're reading it, there's this little kid um, where his grandpa is one of these patrol agents. And at the time, this kid's thinking, well, all we need to do is just ask, why do they butter their butter side down and listen and gain that perspective? And all this conflict goes away. So I think there's times as our, as our systems get bigger, as we work with different partnerships, both internally and externally, as we have people that we love working with and people that we'd rather not work with, that it's very important to just ask questions and get to know them and understand what drives them and what motivates them and what encourages them. And just something as asking a question of, hey, how's your day going? How are you doing? Um, can open up that door to where those relationships can be built and you can um, not only decrease the conflict that may be there, but then mitigate it um, in future instances. So I just think it's just a great reminder that instead of building walls, sometimes it's just one little question of, hey, how can I help? Um, or just one little like, hey, like, good job. Um, those little things go a long way. 
where at any point in time in that book, whether it was page two or page 60, that, that could have been asked and it wasn't. And uh, yeah, you're kind of left with a, a very sour note at the end. So mm-hmm. it's just that simple. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's actually a great insight um, to to a children's book. I think, you know, those little messages are really important. And so, um, yeah, for the audience, that might be a fun little book to pick up and, and read some night. My last question for you, Trey, focuses on, on if you could think of someone in your life that you define as successful, what's a trait that they possess that's allowed them to be successful? I think the most important thing that I've found that separates people that I quote unquote deem successful or that I seek out at events or networking opportunities are people that don't just do a great job of identifying problems, but people that do a great job of identifying problems and then solving those problems. Um, You don't have to have a PhD to solve problems. You don't have to um, necessarily work 24-7, 365 to solve problems, right? But people that have that ability to provide solutions, act upon them, and then validate those solutions with, you know, data-driven results um, tend to be really successful. Um, and just going through about like, okay, how do you identify the problem? What? There's 20 different ways that you could solve this problem. Why'd you pick this one? Um, what did you learn after solving that problem? And then how do you make the next problem that you ran across with even a better solution? Um, I just think that's, that always fascinates me when, when you see me in a, a group of people at, at a conference or if I'm on a phone call, those are kind of things that I'm seeking out, sometimes indirectly and sometimes really directly. Like, hey, what problem have you been working on? Uh, you know, what did you try to go about to solve it? And then how do you validate that? And then how did you prove that your solution worked or didn't work? And then what did you learn from it? So I, I would say, you know, people that I, you know, have on my mentor list or people that I look up to, both that I have a great relationship with and I just know of the people right? Um, it, it's that key trait that I find um, uh, really important and something that I try to work on and provide um, within my own system and teams and people I work with and at home too. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that ability to problem solve and figure it out and then, um, yeah, make sure that it's validated as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great trait to have. Well, Trey, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure visiting with you as always and certainly uh, giving the audience a little bit of an insight as to what a production nutritionist does on a day-to-day basis. For our listeners, again, this is Dr. Trey Kellner, who is a nutritionist and uh, manager or partner in uh, AMBC. Thank you so much, Trey, for your time today. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate it.